0: Whatever it is that you're thinking about, whether that's a conversation starter or trying something different or putting out a product or writing a blog post, and maybe it's not what everyone else does, maybe it's not what you think you should do, but it's really you and you really like it, I would say go for it.
1: Welcome to Starve the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Today, we are joined by Amy Robles from WomenInRich.com. Hi, Amy.
0: Hey, good to be here.
1: Awesome. And then, of course, our official co-host from Maui. Aloha, Kamanzi
2: Constable. Aloha, Jared. And I'm looking forward to one episode without one certain topic.
1: (laughs) I don't think we'll get there. But we will get there today with Vanessa Van Edwards. She is a rock star. She is a Huffington Post columnist. And her groundbreaking work has been featured on NPR, The Wall Street Journal, The Today Show, and USA Today. She has written for CNN, Fast Company, and Forbes. Her Science of People approach has benefited both readers and corporations, as Vanessa has consulted for multiple Fortune 500 companies, including American Express, Clean and Clear, and Semantic. And you can find out more about Vanessa by going to scienceofpeople.com. Vanessa, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, Vanessa, I hope you're ready, because we ask this (laughs) to every guest that comes on the show, what is the best concert that you have ever been to?
0: Oh, this is going to be telling my favorite concert was the Backstreet Boys, and that's because it was my, <laughs> it was my first concert, and my mind was blown. I was like, "What? This amazing, magical musical place exists, and there are really amazing boys on stage." I was a tween, and so I would say that that was the best concert I've ever been to.
2: <laughs> Vanessa, I got to tell you, I have the Backstreet Boys on my playlist. I yes. the and I was actually listening to them um, while I was just uh, around the house doing errands. And my wife recorded me and she blackmailed to show that what? to people.
0: She should send it to me. We are going to get along. We are going to get along well, because there's nothing better than listening to the Backstreet Boys while you're cleaning up your house, let me tell you.
2: (laughs) Well,
1: Vanessa, there is someone on this interview that would argue that (laughs) another person to listen to would be Taylor Swift.
0: (laughs) Oh, Jared,
2: you didn't go there.
0: (laughs) Hey, Taylor Swift, pretty good. I'll take Taylor Swift, too. My taste Um, in music is pretty poppy, so.
2: He's uh, saying that, Vanessa, because I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan, so. (laughs)
0: Well, then we're also going to get along well.
1: Ooh, this is—he this yeah, is, he stalks her on Instagram, so but we won't go there. Let's make this about I, Vanessa. No, no.
2: <laughs> hey, just so you know, Vanessa, I live in Maui, and she was here in Maui, which was pretty wild. So that's all. <laughs> but this is a, a good segue into this question, Vanessa. What is a, and this is in quotes, recovering boring person?
0: So a recovering boring person is me, and that is because I mean I used to listen to the Backstreet Boys, so you can kind of guess that <laughs> um, I might not have had the most friends in high school and elementary school. And so I joke around that I'm a recovering boring or recovering awkward person because people skills did not come naturally to me at first. I, it took me a long time to figure out that book skills, uh, you know, doing well in school would not translate into the business world or the real world, and so I had to. Learn people skills by diving into the science and trying things. And that's exactly where my business came out of was figuring out that there was this gap in our education. We needed to learn people skills.
1: Good wow.
0: Deal. Uh, we love people
1: skills. So let's try a skill here called finish this sentence. And would you kick us off, Amy? Sounds
0: great. So Vanessa, some common and boring questions people normally ask are, what do you do? Where are you from? What got you that <laughs> line of work? Yeah, that's oh, dreadful. We, we,
1: we need to change our questions <laughs> for, this, for this interview.
2: <laughs> and uh, Vanessa, kind of a little bit of a follow-up, because I know the answer to this, but the listener probably won't be. What are some more exciting questions that you could ask in like a group-type situation?
0: Yeah. So I say we should abandon boring social scripts, right? Like there's this script that we all do. And I don't know why we continue to do it where you meet someone and literally the first 10 minutes of your conversation, you could do it in your sleep. It's like, what do you do? Oh, I do this. Where are you from? Great. How'd you get into that line of work? Oh, interesting. Let's go get some wine. Uh Uh-huh. Like it's the same, (laughs) it's the same conversation. It's so mind numbing. So the problem with that is like, not only are you bored out of your mind, but you're also boring them and not stimulating their brain in any memorable or engaging way. So I like questions that are a little different. And I think the weirder, the better, because I would rather pique someone's interest and have an interesting conversation about that than ask the same old question. So I like, what personal passion projects are you working on? Or even if, if you're in a work situation, even, is this your busy season? Like even that, like getting people to think about like seasonality in terms of their work. Or... Where's the last place you went on vacation? I mean, those kinds of questions are pretty safe for, you know, networking events or first dates, but they're at least different. You learn something new about the other person and watch their eyes light up when you ask those questions.
1: Vanessa, our audience is some of the best and most attractive people in the podcasting space, right? But uh, there's some (laughs) others that aren't. So this next finish this sentence, the one thing we can do to be more attractive to other people is...
0: I'm going to say the offer mentality and the offer mentality is something that I teach that I use where every interaction you go to, instead of thinking about how I can be more attractive, you think about how can they be more attractive to me? So how can I make them more attractive instead of how can I impress them? How can I get them to impress me? So that changes the nature of your questions, right? If you're searching for the thing that's going to be impressive about them, If you're searching for their story, if you're searching for the thing that they're most proud of, your questions, your interaction is totally different and you will figure it out. You'll find it. Maybe you're asking about family. Maybe you're asking about a passion project they're working on. When they find that topic with it, you can tell they're just like so proud of it. They are so like, oh, wow, I'm so excited this person asked me about this. You just hit the sweet spot and that makes you incredibly attractive. Because you're getting them to talk about something that lights up their dopamine, lights up their pleasure centers in their brain. Yeah,
1: cleaning the house to Backstreet Boys.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Like I don't. Probably people probably didn't expect that, or maybe they did. I don't know. But it's it's the truth. So I I went with it.
1: (laughs) Good deal.
2: So Vanessa, finished this sentence. I can usually tell when somebody is lying by.
0: If they say, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so I teach human lie detection, and it's a very complex science. There's actually not one thing that means someone is lying. And the reason why that's important is because there are myths about lying. Like, for example, there's a myth that shifty eyes means someone's lying. But actually, what they found is that statistically speaking, liars typically look you in the eye more often because they're trying to see if you believe them. So shifty eyes is simply a sign of nervousness. A truth-telling person who's being interrogated is still going to be honest. So there are a lot of myths and misconceptions about lie detection. So I think it's really important to stick to the science. And there are, statistically speaking, cues. One of those cues is when someone tells you to tell you the truth, to be frank, let me be honest, you're wondering, well, were you not being honest before? (laughs) Or are you not about to not be honest with me now? So... Statistically speaking, that is a red flag for me. It does not mean someone is lying, but it's when I perk up, I pay attention. And I'm like, mm, what's about to come out of their mouth? So it always makes me a little nervous.
1: Kamanzi, to tell you the truth, that was a good
0: question. <laughs> <laughs> so Vanessa, Jared, girl,
1: do you- <laughs> go ahead.
0: Girl, I've had some mind numbing conversations, and the best way that I can learn to be unforgettable is the peak technique. So the peak technique is when you do something that is extraordinary, different, or unusual. So for example, and I I do this with every single thing in my life. If you have a name tag at a networking event or at a speed dating event or a conference, instead of just filling out your name, put your name in your favorite quote, If you're bringing a dessert to a party, why bring a dessert that everyone's going to bring like brownies or donuts? Why not make a dessert that's totally different? Like bring fruit roll-ups from when you were a kid or (laughs) bring a big pile of Twinkies, right? Like bring something that's at least a little bit different. And I think that that is one way, A, it makes you unforgettable, but B, it also just makes it easier to make conversation. Like If you, for example, I like to bring really like theme-fitting desserts or food. So we had, I went to a masquerade party and I brought cupcakes with masks on them made out of like chocolate-covered pretzels. And I brought them and people talked about it all night. Not the actual making of the cupcake, but what their favorite mask was and what desserts they could bring that would be on theme. And so it actually made it so much easier for me to have those conversations that we were talking about that are not social scripts. So I think that those two fit together. That if you think about what you normally do and what's why one way that you can change it up, and that's including like, Ordering a different kind of drink, an unusual drink that people haven't heard of before, or the, a weird conversation starter, or putting a quote on your name tag, or I have business cards that have conversation starters on them. All of those things take something that's really typical that we see all the time and changing it around. I do the same thing on my website. Like uh, on our website, I have Easter eggs on there. Easter eggs are like hidden links in the website. So I'll like make a, a random word link to a puppy video. Or something like that. And it makes people read my content very carefully and laugh and smile. So I think that that's the way to do it. I know that is a little out of people's comfort zone, but if there was anything I said that like you thought, mm, maybe I could try that, try it. I swear you will feel like you had a completely different night or different experience.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to go buy some fruit roll ups.
0: Yeah I, yeah. I bring kids food a lot to parties. Like I, someone had a big um, party the other day and everyone was bringing like flan and coup and like, I don't know, really fancy French sounding things. And I was like looking at the list of what people were bringing. And I was like, Mm-mm, nope, not going to do that. And so I just brought tater tots. And you know what went first? <laughs> the tater tots. They were the first to go. Let me tell you
1: yeah, I love it. Right, so, Vanessa, how important is nonverbal communication?
0: So, so, so important. So let me spout some t- statistics for you that I think are quite impressive. So research has found that 60 to 93% of our communication is nonverbal. And by the way, 60 is the lowest study we could find. There are a number of studies on nonverbal communication, and most of them are up in the high 70s and 80s. 60 was like the bare minimum of communication. So when I say nonverbal, I mean body language, I mean voice tone, I mean the way that you use your words, which is called statement analysis, and I mean facial expressions. The problem is, is when we go on interviews, or dates, or pitches, or business meetings, we typically think about what we wanna say. We script out our answers, We think about the questions we want to ask, all the what we want to say. We very rarely think about how we want to say something. And that is the nonverbal piece. It's how we deliver our verbal message. And it can make or break us. If your nonverbal doesn't match your verbal, that is where inauthenticity comes from. That's when people think, this person's a jerk, this person's inauthentic, I don't want to get to know them. So you have to make sure that they match.
2: And uh, one thing you talk about, Vanessa, is microexpressions could you share with us the seven micro expressions that could maybe help us read people better, read their emotions better?
0: Sure. So a micro expression, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. So I love it. It's a very brief involuntary facial expression that everyone makes when we feel an intense emotion. So it's the way that our face reacts to our internal emotions and we cannot control it. People across races, across cultures, across religions make these facial expressions. And the way that we discovered it, Is Dr. Paul Ekman. He's a nonverbal researcher. I don't know. Has anyone seen the show Lie to Me? Has anyone seen that show? Yes. Okay. So it's a pretty great show on Netflix. I highly recommend it. That show is based on Dr. Paul Ekman. It's based on a real life man. That's where I got my training. I got my micro expression certification from him. And so he discovered the micro expression. The way that he figured it out was that we used to believe that when babies were born, they looked at someone's face and then mimicked it or copied it. And that's how they learned facial expressions. But then they figured out that congenitally blind babies, babies who have been blind since birth, so they've never seen a face before, they can't see a face, they make the same facial expressions at the same time as seeing babies. That shows us that our facial expressions are genetically coded, that there is something about our DNA that tells us to make certain facial expressions. This is a pretty like crazy concept because... What it means is that no matter what language someone is speaking, no matter where they're from, you can read their inner emotion. You can read their face. And they've discovered seven different microexpressions so far. They are contempt, happiness, disgust, anger, sadness, fear, and surprise. And I actually have them all. I have a free like microexpression tutorial on my website. If you want to go to scienceofpeople.com slash face, I recorded videos of people in our lab making each facial expression, and then I explain what happens with each facial expression. And I'll talk about my favorite one, which is the easiest to do on an audio recording.
2: For Star of the Dolls listeners, we just want to let you know that those will be in the show notes. The links will be in the show notes.
0: Cool. Yeah. So if you're just listening, the one that you can practice with, you can start with is the easiest one and it's contempt. Contempt, hatred, disdain is a one-sided mouth raise. So it kind of looks like a smirk, if you know what that is. It's you lift one side of your mouth. All it is, it's a one-sided mouth raise. It looks like a half smile. So most people think that that expression is half happiness or okay, kind of okay. But it's actually the exact opposite. It's extreme negativity, extreme contempt. And this expression is so powerful, and we see it all the time, because there's a researcher, forgive all the science, I, hopefully this won't be interesting. It's um, a researcher named Dr. John Gottman. He's a marriage and family counselor up in Seattle. And he wanted to answer one of, I think, our life's biggest questions, which is, how do you know if a couple is going to get divorced? Right, we have a huge divorce rate, especially in this country. And so he decided to try to answer this question. And he brought a couple hundred couples into his lab and he tested them on everything he could think of hair analysis, blood tests, urine tests, he interviewed them. He interviewed their friends, their families, their kids. He did in depth history questions. He filmed them in their homes, interacting. He tested their body language. He tested everything he could think of with these hundred couples. And then he followed them for thirty years. Thirty years. He wanted to know at the end of those thirty years which couples would get divorced and which couples would stay together. So do you want to know what happened? Mm. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, what he found was is there was only one single indicator of divorce, and that was that in the initial intake interview, if one of the spouses showed contempt at the other, with ninety three point six percent accuracy, that couple would get divorced within thirty years. Ninety three point six percent accuracy in science that's like cray cray. That's like huge. That ninety three point six percent accuracy, and so that contempt micro When you see it on someone's face, you have to pay very close attention to know that is not half happiness. That is not an accident. That is something that needs to be addressed right away.
2: Wow. Wow. So that (laughs) is impressive. The fact that he did a 30-year study is impressive. I mean, wow.
0: It's incredible. I mean, the interesting part of that study is that there was so much data. You know, there was so many couples and they, they tested so many variables and there was no other patterns. But this one pattern was so strong. That he can watch silent videos of couples and tell you with 93.6% accuracy if they are going to get divorced.
1: Whoa. Wow. My Facebook profile picture has a one sided mouth raise. Does I'm going to change that. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Oh,
0: no. I have a mirror right here and I'm looking at it and I
1: keep lifting one side and it looks like I'm grossed out. I keep, I, I'm not following correctly.
0: So speaking of Facebook. What should our Facebook profile picture really be? What do you think? Yeah. So first one is please don't have contempt, right? That makes go look at your social media pictures right now. Look at every picture on your website. Look at your LinkedIn profile picture. Look at your dating profile and make sure you have no unequal smiles. Number one. Number two is that we can tell inauthenticity in a smile because the only true indicator of happiness is when our smile reaches up to our crow's feet, those kind of wrinkles or muscles on the sides of the eyes or on the upper cheeks. That's the only true indicator of happiness. So when you are taking your pictures, when you're thinking about what picture you should use, you should try to take a moment where you are genuinely happy because then that reaches up into your eyes. That's a signal to other people that you are genuinely happy, that you are showing a real happy smile. So I would encourage you that if you have a headshot or if you have a picture that you've taken sort of off the cuff, Make sure that you were genuinely happy in that picture that, cause that will come through.
1: All right. So Vanessa, what are a few tips podcasters and speakers can use to communicate better?
0: You know, there's, I love talking about vocal power because there's a, can I tell you another study? Will you, will you kill me if I tell you another study? No, you're <laughs> no. safe here. This is a safe place. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so I just think, sci- I, I just love science. I told you I'm a science geek. So this study looked at doctors' vocal power. And what they did is they devised a really clever experiment. They had doctors, a couple hundred doctors, record 10-second voice tone clips. So they had the doctor say, hi, I'm Dr. Smith. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I've been practicing for 10 years, something like that. And then they took the clips and they warbled them. So they made it so you couldn't understand the words. You could hear the volume and the voice tone, but you could not understand the words that were being said. Then they had participants listen to these clips and rate the doctor's on their skill level, their competence. Now, it's very hard to rate someone's competence and skill level based on a 10-second warbled voice tone clip, but that's what they asked people to do. What they found was is that the doctors that got low competence ratings, so were rated as not very skilled, also in real life had the highest rate of malpractice lawsuits. So that hints at something very big, that we don't sue doctors based on their skill level we sue them based on our perception of their skill level. And so when we're talking about podcasters and speakers using the power of their voice to communicate confidence and credibility, that absolutely comes through more in the tone of your voice and less than what you actually say. So, that leads me to how do you increase your vocal power? There are two main things, or actually a couple different strategies, but two that that are I think the most important. The first is never using the question inflection on a statement. So the question inflection is when you add a question mark to the end of a statement. So my name is Vanessa. Sounds like a question, even though that's a statement versus the authoritative voice tone, which is my name is Vanessa. So the authoritative voice tone goes down just slightly at the end of a sentence. And what you want to think about is that you are purposeful with your question inflection. The problem is when we're not very confident about our words, when we are nervous, We will add the question inflection to the end of all of our sentences because we're a little unsure of what we're saying. And that's what it sounds like. And that is a huge, low confidence, low confidence cue to someone else. So I would record yourself and hopefully if you're a podcast, you have lots of recordings, go back, re-listen to them and mark down every time you use the question inflection on a statement. If you can eradicate those huge difference in your credibility cues with your audience. And the last one is using the lowest natural end of your tone. And a lot of vocal coaches teach this very well. The easiest way that I have learned to do it is I always speak on the out breath. If I hear myself going up in the high end, the high end of my vocal cords. So when I'm tense, they get kind of high like this. When I hear myself do that, I start to take a deep breath and it's impossible for your vocal cords to stay tense when you're taking a deep breath. And then I speak on the out breath. That keeps you in your lowest natural range. And that is a a really strong vocal power cue to people listening. I would even
2: say the equivalent of that for all us writers and all you writers listen to this, the equivalent of that is using adverbs in your writing when you're tense and timid and you don't really want to say what you want to say. Would you agree with that, Vanessa?
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. And that's what you're talking about is statement analysis. Statement analysis is how we use our words. And you're right. They're absolutely interlinked. And the way that you use your words is another way to send nonverbal signals behind the actual content.
2: Vanessa, you've done an incredible job with building your platform and your business and you've been featured in a lot of different places. Could you give us a few tips for those looking to do the same to build their platform?
0: Yeah, so I think that in the beginning of my business, when, so I started my company nine years ago and in the beginning it was slow going and I realized that it was because I was trying to appeal to everyone and so what ended up happening was I had really watered down Posts and tweets and I just had no voice because I was afraid of not appealing to everyone or offending some people. And about three or four years into my business, I realized that A, that was exhausting and inauthentic because I wasn't happy doing it. It wasn't very fun to write posts that had to appeal to everyone, which is also impossible, but that I really wanted to find my people. Like I had this very clear idea that if I started to speak in my voice and not turn some people off, that's okay. Like I wasn't for them. But if other people really hit them, like they were like, yes, like this is something that I want more of, that I would get them faster and more loyally. And I would also be way happier doing it. So I think that for anyone listening to try to find your voice and forget about trying to please everyone, figure out who your tribe is, where do they live? How do they speak? What kind of words do they use? That's how you can reach your most loyal and dedicated Tribe members because you are being authentic and you're also speaking on a level that they want to be at. Wow. Man, I've just been taking so many notes, just drinking in all of this good stuff. And as we're wrapping up, just tell me who's doing something that interests you. So I have a total girl crush on Marie Forleo. Me (laughs) too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like (laughs) super girl crushing on her. I just think she's awesome. She runs a, a, like an online business school for women and men, but mostly women. And I think that her content is really stellar. And she's one of those people who I think speaks in her voice and like doesn't apologize for it, like unapologetically herself. And I very much appreciate that. And I think she has like major balls in a good way.
1: Yeah. Kamanzi really admires her too. He's actually starting something called C school, which I don't know if that's a good idea or not. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> C School, I like it.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I uh, I didn't know what that was about. All right. So, Vanessa, what's the best place for listeners to stay connected with you online?
0: So, I run an online human behavior research lab, and all of that is at scienceofpeople.com. And I love when people come and play in our lab with us. So, we are running all kinds of experiments right now. And we created games and videos you can watch, and all of that is contributing to our research. So, you want to go to our website and kind of click around and play and give us your thoughts on things. We have you vote on popular picture, dating pictures, and who you think is attractive versus not attractive, all kinds of things. That's really where you can find us.
2: And I would tell uh, the listeners, I spent a lot of time on the site. The content is just gold. Podcasters, writers, uh, whatever space you're in, you're going to find something for yourself there.
0: Thank you for that. I appreciate that.
2: And so, Vanessa, last question. Do you have any final thoughts for the listeners?
0: You know, I think we started off this interview talking about trying things that are a little different even if they're a little scary. I thought maybe I should lie about the my Backstreet Boys comment, but maybe I should say something similar. <laughs> <to there. laughs> you know, I was like, maybe I should be like, I don't know, like I don't know, a cool band. I won't even pretend to know what that is. Like I was like, maybe I should like lie and say that I did a cool band. And then I was immediately like, no, like, no, my favorite concert was the Backstreet Boys. and I'm just going to own it. And so whatever it is that you're thinking about, whether that's a conversation starter or trying something different or putting out a product or writing a blog post, and maybe it's not what everyone else does. Maybe it's not what you think you should do, but it's really you and you really like it. I would say go for it.
1: Vanessa, your advice is like a... Bowl full of Twinkies. So (laughs) yes, we we really appreciate. (laughs) I aspire
0: to be a bowl full of Twinkies.
1: (laughs) Hey, people! Please check out scienceofpeople. dot com. Vanessa, best wishes to you and your business. Thank you for being on the show.
0: Thanks for having me. Research has found that 60 to 93% of our communication is nonverbal. And by the way, 60 is the lowest study we could find. There are a number of studies on nonverbal communication, and most of them are up in the high 70s and 80s. 60 was like the bare minimum of communication. So when I say nonverbal, I mean body language, I mean voice tone, I mean the way that you use your words, which is called statement analysis, and I mean facial expressions. The problem is, is when we go on interviews or dates or pitches or business meetings, we typically think about what we want to say. We script out our answers. We think about the questions we want to ask, all the what we want to say. We very rarely think about how we want to say something. And that is the nonverbal piece. It's how we deliver our verbal message. And it can make or break us. If your nonverbal doesn't match your verbal That is where inauthenticity comes from. That's when people think this person's a jerk. This person's inauthentic. I don't want to get to know them.